emphasized to us, and I've, I feel like I, it necessitates repeating so we can get it rooted inside of us. We are not here to run a church. We're actually here to establish a culture. Right. Amen. We are ambassadors is what the Bible calls us. An ambassador comes from one country to another country to make the country they came from, they came to look like the country they came from. We are ambassadors. We are colonizers. We, 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 we take the kingdom of heaven. We take heaven and we establish it in the earth. Amen. And so, so amen, that demands culture. So much of salvation has been focused on confession and very little focused on culture. So we get the confession, but we don't have the culture to put people in that they can be nurtured and become kingdom citizens and disciples of God. So it doesn't go any further than confession. And, and so now it's so important that we understand culture. And any type of culture that you're going to establish for the kingdom of God must have at its core worship. Worship is the core of any culture if it, you're going to call it kingdom. If you're going to call it kingdom, worship has to be the emphasis. Worship has to be the, 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 the uh, if you would, the, the, the most valued commodity of that culture is worship of God. Amen. And so we've been dealing with worship and how worship now connects to us. Um, entering into worship connects with us coming out of bondage and, and, and being delivered and uh, that, that everything centers around that. And I want to stay in that because um, and, and, and go back to um, Israel being delivered out of Egypt. It was God taking a people out of a culture so that he could instill in them the kingdom culture. Um, he was taking them from the larger culture to establish them as a subculture that would ultimately become a counterculture. It, 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 was, a, it was a subculture um, that they would go into the wilderness, worship God, and through worship of God, they would now begin to be a subculture, a culture that is not a part of the larger culture, and then ultimately enter back in to the promised land and become a counterculture where then all other cultures would that then have to bow to the culture of the kingdom established by the word of God and their worship as they hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. And so if we're going to, to, to really deal with and understand and break religion and break tradition and actually um, um, establish culture, I, I don't think there's any better place to now do that than from the book of Exodus and the, the entire um, instance of them being delivered from Egypt. So I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 14. That's where we're going to start today. Exodus chapter 14. And we're going to start at verse number 1. We're going to, to read the majority of this verse, so if you would just kind of ride with me and, and um, let's, let's tap, in, tap into this verse. Exodus chapter 14, verse number 1, the Bible reads, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Piharoth, 
between Migdal and the sea over against Baal-Zephon. Before it shall you encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, watch this, listen to this question by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us? Please excuse me, I know that one of the monitors is out. We, we're still getting everything together. Verse number six, and he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. They went out with their chest out. They went out, they came out with their head high. They were feeling good. They went out with a high hand. Verse 9, but the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Piharoth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel, the believers, the churchgoers, those that knew God, cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. This is, this is profound. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he shall show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. Everybody say forever. That's good. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his host, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. 
And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all the night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Verse 26, skip down. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thy hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the hosts of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. Last verse. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Father, we just thank you and we bless you for the power of God to decree and declare your word with grace for which the Spirit of God hovers, waiting, Lord God, to be released, to release the life of the word into the life of the believer. And so we just thank you and we bless you right now that we'll leave here living and living more abundantly. We'll leave here with victory, Lord God, as our name. We magnify you and bless you for it now in the mighty name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated um, in the house of God. I, I'm going to revisit two verses. Or excuse me, I'm going to revisit one verse. And after I revisit that one verse, I'm going to now um, share some things with you. And I'm still dealing with worship. I'm still dealing with the importance of worship in that. I want to go back to Exodus 14, verse number 5. The Bible reads in Exodus 14 and verse number 5, and it was told the king of Egypt, this is after the Passover, by the way, this is after Israel is now comes out of Egypt, the Passover comes, the firstborn of everything in the Egyptian society is killed. We dealt with that. It wasn't just the firstborn of humans, it was the firstborn of their cattle, uh, it was the firstborn of their livestock, anything that was alive, the firstborn was killed. Then Pharaoh lets Israel go. After he lets them go, verse number five picks up in Exodus 14, and it says, And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servant was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go key from serving us? Why did we let Israel go from serving us? Pharaoh and Egypt... Now, uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians had now come to the conclusion that they shouldn't have let the people of God go 
watch this, from serving them. So after releasing the people of God from underneath their authoritative bondage, they decided to pursue them and kill them. What I want to, to, to place a laser focus in on this afternoon is what the question that Pharaoh and, and the Egyptians asked that caused them to go after Israel after letting them go. Listen to the question, and it's profound because it lays some groundwork of what God wants to do in our worship. I believe God wants to redeem our worship. I believe our worship needs to be redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Sometimes we, we worry about the enemy stealing our cars. We worry about the enemy stealing our houses. But, but, but I think we need to worry about the enemy stealing our worship. Because I believe what he wants from us above all else, if the Bible is right, is Satan wants worship. He wants the worship. He's not trying to steal our cars. He's not trying to steal our jobs. He's trying to steal our worship. There must be a redemption of worship. So, so now pay attention to what Pharaoh in Egypt says. He says, why have we let Israel go from serving us? Now, serving is the Hebrew word avad. It's spelled A-B-A-D, but it's pronounced like it's spelled A-V-A-D, avad. Why have we let Israel go from avad of us? It literally means that word avad, serving to enslave, to keep in bondage worshippers. Serving is the Hebrew word avad. It means three things. To enslave, to keep in bondage, worshipers. That word avad, serving, is interchangeable with the word worship. I need y'all to get that if you don't get anything else. I know we talked about how offering is interchangeable with worship, but also the word serving, avad, is interchangeable with the word worship. Now, with that in mind, let us now um, reevaluate Exodus, the 14th chapter and the 5th verse. That Exodus 14 verse 5 could read, why have we let Israel go from worshiping us? That's what Pharaoh asked. That's what the Egyptians asked. See, what we got to understand, people of God, is, is the Egyptians holding Israel in bondage was the Egyptians possessing Israel's worship. I'm going to say that again. The Egyptians holding Israel in bondage was the Egyptians possessing Israel's worship. Can I help you understand something? And I pray that you get it. Bondage is actually an act of worship. I'm going to say that again. Bondage is actually an act of worship. That's why Yahweh was requiring Israel to come completely out of bondage before worshiping him because their bondage itself was an act of worship. So you can't give me worship until you come out of that. Their bondage to the Egyptians was actually the children of Israel worshiping the Egyptians. God, we got to get that if we don't get anything else being in bondage is being in worship i'm gonna say that again being in bondage is being in 
worship. Why have we let Israel go from serving or worshiping us? Avad. Uh, Avad. Why have we let them? It means to be enslaved. It means to work hard for one. Avad. It means to make one do stuff they don't want to do. Bondage or worship enslaves us or makes us do and deal with stuff we don't want to do and deal with because that's what worship worship is submitting to what you don't like and do like bondage or worship makes us work harder and makes us do things we don't want to do. Can I help you understand something? Worry is worship. Do you know it enslaves us and makes us deal with things we don't want to deal with? We wake up and we're stressed. We wake up and, and we, 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 we're, we're foreboding and worrying about what's going to happen. Why? Because worry is worship and it makes us work harder to get through the day than, than we should have to work to get through the day. Do you understand that fear is worship? It makes us work harder to carry out what we fear carrying out you ever tried to do something you fear doing how hard was it to do was it that hard because it was that hard or was it that hard because we gave it worship and worship makes you work harder nurturing anger now I didn't say being angry because the Bible says be angry and sin not but nurturing anger is worship it enslaves our minds and emotions and makes us deal with things mentally and emotionally that we don't have to deal with it makes us work harder to deal with people because we go home and nurture our anger by talking about them or talking about what they said how they acted we're actually giving worship that's now nurturing inside of us the inability to deal with them and making it harder to deal with them see this is what we got to understand because I'm trying to help us understand worship at a deeper measure. Just like we use instruments. Come on. We use keyboards and we use drums and we use violins and we use flutes to set the atmosphere for worship. See, the enemy uses worry. He uses, those are his instruments. He uses anger. He uses fear to set the atmosphere for his presence to come in. Just like we use those instruments for the presence of God to come in, the enemy uses the instruments called anger and fear frustration and worry to set an atmosphere for him to come in and before we know it we feel overwhelmed why because we cultivated his presence before we know it we feel like we can't go any further why because we allowed his instruments to get in our hands and our hearts in our heads and before we know it we're in the presence of hell we've cultivated an atmosphere where hell overwhelms us going to work kills us us, dealing with what we got to deal with at home we can't even have deal with it why because the enemy gave us instruments and we played them amen to be in bondage I hope y'all hear this I'm trying to deal with a culture to be in bondage is to be in worship that's why we have to proclaim I'll never be bound again I got my liberty. Come on. I'm, I'm finally free. I'm not, no, no, because I'm not worshiping nobody but God. Amen. To be in bondage 
is to be in worship. Worship in its most raw and authentic form. What is worship in its most raw and authentic form? Worship in its most raw and authentic form is obedience. Amen. Obedience is the greatest expression of worship. I would rather obedience than sacrifice. God would rather have you not sing a song and obey him than sing a song and half obey him. I would just rather you not sing along at all and actually do what I told you to. Obedience is better than the sacrifice of praise, although the sacrifice of praise is supposed to help bring us into obedience. Amen? Obedience is, an ex is the way that we express worship. In other words, what we obey, please hear me, is what we worship. Do you understand worrying is being obedient? When we're worrying, we're being obedient to someone. Did y'all hear what I just said? Now, nurturing anger is being obedient. You're obeying somebody. Being offended is being obedient. You're not just doing that because you feel that way. You are being obedient to an entity and a force that wants your worship. Being addicted is being obedient. Do y'all hear what I just said? When I sin, I'm obeying something. Our actions, our thoughts, our pursuits are all acts of obedience. What we got up and did this morning is an act of obedience. But what we thought about all day is an act of obedience. Everything we do, we can do nothing of ourselves. We're obeying some force in everything we do and say. Amen. Come on, I hope y'all are still with me. Amen. I refuse to be mad because I, I refuse to be obedient to that. Come on. I refuse, to, I refuse to be obedient to lust. Hallelujah. I refuse to be obedient to divorce. You're not getting my obedience. Hallelujah. That's worship. My worship belongs to Yahweh. We, we have to expand our understanding of what worship actually is. Otherwise, we'll obey the enemy and turn around and try to sing to God. And God has said, I would have rather had you obey me in action than try to sing me a song. We'll do in form worship of God while we do in experience worship of our enemy. Amen. Now watch this. Put up Romans chapter 6. Somebody shout worship. I, I, I got to teach this and we got to get this. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 16 through 18. Dealing with obedience. It says in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 16 through 18, and I'm dealing with the King James Version. Very familiar verse, but it helps us understand obedience as an expression of worship. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants are you to whom you obey. Whether sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. I'm going to read that again. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself service to obey. Now, what did Pharaoh and Egypt ask? Why have we let Israel go from what? 
serving us. Why have we let go Israel from serving us? Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Verse 17, but God be thanked that you have that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart. Y'all see that? But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of what? The only way I now get delivered from being a slave of sin is, being is be becoming a slave of righteousness. We're going to be somebody's slave. What we're doing, somebody we're obeying. And the only way I stop obeying my enemy is if I start obeying God. But uh, one slavery feels, uh, frees me from the other. The, the Bible, Paul says it this way. We are prisoners of Christ. Uh, and he led captivity captive. The way he took me out of captivity is he brought me into captivity to liberty. I am a prisoner of Christ. My God, I'm in a prison. See, we got to understand. He puts us in a prison called peace. I couldn't get out if I wanted to. He puts us in a prison called liberty. I couldn't get out if I want to. I'm trapped by joy and I got a life sentence and I can never get out because I'm a prisoner of Christ. When we worship him, we become prisoners of liberty. That's the the only prison you ever want to get locked up in is the prison called Calvary. It's the prison called the blood. It's the prison called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're only delivered from one slavery by becoming another. I'm a slave of Christ. A prisoner. Our problem is we want to get free, but we don't want to be tied. The only way I get untied from the enemy is if I get tied up by Yahweh. Watch this. But God be thanked that you are the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. You have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. You could read that that has delivered you. You have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which has delivered you. Doctrine is intended to deliver us. Doctrine, glory be to God, didaskos is the Greek word teaching. Uh, uh, doctrine is intended to deliver us. See, some of us are waiting on God to deliver us from something that doctrine has already given us permission to be delivered from. We're waiting on God to do what we already had access to by way of doctrine. And so God, I said, God just going to have to deliver me. But when God wants to deliver us, he sends a doctrine. He sends a word. He's done that all throughout the Bible. The Bible says from the beginning in Genesis, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And God looked on the darkness and sent a word. Come on. He sent a doctrine. He sent a word and said, let there be 
and there was light. John 1 and 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Word. Oops, son. He sent his only begotten Word. I mean, he sent his only begotten Son, because every time God wants to bring deliverance, he'll send a doctrine called Jesus. He'll send the Word of God. Doctrine is intended to deliver us. To ignore the teaching is to voluntarily stay in bondage. We are not in bondage. No, you're in bondage because you do too much while the preaching is going forth as if you're going to get free besides something besides the teaching. I didn't get like this because of, of church. I got like this through uh, Didascus. I, I got like this through doctrine. Doctrine did this to me. How do we get delivered by doctrine? Y'all know how we get delivered by doctrine? Having obeyed from the heart. Come on, having obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. See, I want to help you understand something. There's doctrine. There's word that encourages us. There's doctrine. There's word that inspires us. But the word that delivers us is the word that instructs us. The word that delivers us is instruction. It's not inspiration. It's not encouragement. It's to instruct us. Everybody wants to be encouraged and everybody wants to be inspired, but very few you actually want to be instructed and as a result we have a church full of people who constantly need to be uh, encouraged a church full of people who always want to be inspired because they're not delivered and the reason why they're not delivered is because I don't want uh, 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 I don't want I want inspiration I want encouragement but don't give me no instruction but it is the instruction it is the doctrine of instruction which brings us into deliverance having obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine it means to subordinate oneself to you know what it means it means to subordinate your heart to you make your heart a subordinate to receive the, the teaching in a way that where it delivers you amen our deliverance isn't, isn't coming. Our deliverance is waiting for, uh, on us to hear, waiting for us to hear it. It's already been spoken. Now, I'm waiting on God to free me from this. He already freed you from it. There's nothing that we're currently fighting that, that God has not already given us victory over. But we can't get the victory we got until we hear what he already said. Amen? Bondage is worship. To be in bondage is to be in what? Amen? How do I know that's to be true? Because what happened when we were in bondage? Where did our mind take us? What did our heart want? What did we give our strength to? Huh? If Whether we wanted to or not, it had our mind, it had our heart, it had our strength, and it had our soul. Amen? We call this soul tie, but I believe Yahweh calls it worship. Amen? Now watch this. Exodus chapter 14. I'm going to read that, verse 10 through 12. And so, so, so now what we got to understand is, is them coming out of Egyptian bondage, 
was God delivering them from a form of worship that would keep them from ever worshiping the true and living God. Amen? Please understand that they did not meet God when they were delivered. God can deliver us without us knowing him. They were to go out in the wilderness and meet him on Mount Horeb. They did not meet God when he was delivering them. When he sent those ten plagues, they did not know him. When he now brought them out, the firstborn was there, they did not know. Deliver us, d deliverance doesn't introduce us to God. It puts us in a position where we can be introduced to God. We must understand that because otherwise we'll never worship because we'll just talk about what he did for us and call that worship. But worship is direct interaction. If I'm worshiping God, I'm here and he's here. If I'm worshiping God, it's face to face. God doesn't worship over the phone. He doesn't, he doesn't FaceTime us or, 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 or he doesn't do social media. If, if we're worshiping, we're before the throne. Amen. He closes the distance. So watch this. Exodus chapter 14 and verse number 10. And it's so key that we get this. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were what? So afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord and said unto Moses, Because there was no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is this not the word? This is what messes me up. Now that we know that, that what Egyptians serving the Egyptians were, listen to what they say. Is not this the word that we tell thee, told thee in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should do what? Die in the wilderness. The children of Israel, come on, these are the believers these are the churchgoers came to the conclusion that it was better for them to remain in Egyptian bondage or, or worship the Egyptians and survive than potentially die in the wilderness. Because Israel's agenda was survival, they were willing to sell out their worship. I need y'all to catch that. The children of Israel were willing to serve the Egyptians to survive. It was better for us to serve the Egyptians than to what? That believers focus on being survivors are disqualified from being worshipers. I need y'all to get that right there. You, cause you, you'll always sell out your worship if you think your life is at risk. You, you'll always, we'll always sell up our worship, sell out our worship if we think our life is hanging in the balance. Believers focus on, if you're running around saying I'm a survivor, you are not a worshiper. I made it through this and I made it through that. You are not a worshiper. Believe, glory, I hate that I had to say that. Why God, what I do? believers focus I, sometimes I'll be like God why is it in my bones I just gotta say it I don't want to say it I hate to do it but I gotta do it because you're celebrating being a survivor and I know that means you spent more time looking at how hard it was than worshiping God you worship your wilderness you did not worship God that's why when you talk about it you talk about all the hell you went through instead of all the peace God kept you in because you worship the hell 
hell, not the God of peace. That's why you talk about almost losing your mind because you never worship God enough to get the mind of Christ where you never had to lose your mind. You are a survivor, therefore you're really not a worshiper because you actually spend more time talking about how you had to struggle and fight. Almost gave up 25 times. Almost lost all my mind. Almost threw in the towel. Didn't want to go any further. Who are you worshiping? That is not in the Bible. That is not how we lift up God. Who are you worshiping? Brothers and sisters, that's worship. But I will bless the Lord. I wonder if there's anybody that's redeeming their worship on this evening. I don't know about you. You might be tired. And the newness of the building might have worn off on you. But I don't preach like this because I'm in a new building. No way. I don't preach like this because we got a place in Florida. My preaching ain't got nothing to do with what I got in the natural. But it's like fire shut up in my bones. My God, I'm a worshiper. And in the morning and at night. May the fire on my altar never go out. Is there anybody in here? My God, you put me in a box and we're going to burn the box down. Glory be to God. You put me in the school, the school's on fire. Put me in the funeral home and watch what happens. You can put me in the funeral home with bad air and we still, I had a witness, and corpses on the other side and we still gonna let it burn. I'm a worshiper. We're worshipers. I need somebody to shout, I'm a worshiper. Believers focused on being survivors are disqualified from being worshipers. Did y'all hear what I, if you don't get nothing else I said, make sure you get that. Believers focus because it is an insult on God to walk around thinking your life is in the balance. Living to survive is a form of worship that insults God because Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. How can you think your life is in the balance when the thing he died to give us was life? And once we receive his life, life is no longer about surviving. Uh, no, no, no. I got his life now. Uh, when did he give me his life? After he rose from the dead. I didn't get it until he got on the other side of sickness. I didn't get it until he got on the other side of fear. I didn't get it until he got on the other side of death. So in all things, we are more than conquerors through the Lord Jesus. Shall I fear death? No. I got life in me after death called the Holy Spirit.
Once we receive his life, life is no longer about surviving trial. It's about worshiping Yahweh. Now, oh my, no, 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 no. But you don't see what's happening over there. It don't matter. It's about worshiping Yahweh. You don't see the problem and how, what that could cause. It don't matter. My life ain't in the balance. It's about worshiping Yahweh. Since I already know I'm going to make it through what I'm facing, I need somebody here that already know you're going to make it through what you're facing. No, 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 no. Not when you're almost through it. Not when you feel like it's almost over. I'm talking about you know you're going to make it in the middle of it. When it don't look like it's going to be resolved. When things look like they're getting worse. You can lift your hands and say, though I make my bed in hell, I know that he is here with me and I'm going to bless his I'm a worshiper. I'm a worshiper. I'm a worshiper. Surviving ain't even a topic. Oh, I know we're going to make it. I know my marriage is going to make it. I know my children going to make it. I know my finances are going to make it. I know my ministry is going to make it. Ain't nothing around me that can die. And as a matter of fact, if the devil try to kill it, you can still kill it. But I hang out with a king called the resurrection and the life. Though he were dead, yet shall it. I wish somebody in here. That's a worshiper that has something stirring on the inside of you. Glory be to God. I'm redeeming my worship. I am not a survivor. I am not going to almost lose my mind. I am not going to almost throw in the towel. I, I'm a worshiper. Since I already know I'm going to make it, I might as well bless him. No. Since I already know I'm going to make it, I might as well clap my hands. Since I already know I'm going to make it. Sinners are survivors. That's why they are addicted to sin. Salvation is actually being delivered from trying to survive. Why do I drink? To make it. Why do I smoke? Man, y'all ain't talking to make it, I'm trying to sir. Man, I ain't married, but everybody got to get a little something on the side. Why? To sir. Every sin has survival tied to it. But I'm saved. Anybody saved up in here? But I'm, I'm actually blood-bought for real. I'm saved for. I'm really saved. Do you hear what people are saying about you? Yep, and so? It ain't going to kill me. See, this is the good news that I have for you today. You know the good news that I have for you today, and it ain't deep. The good news that I have for you today is you shall live, yes, Lord, and not die. 
What I'm telling you is what's fighting you can't kill you. I'm not telling you it won't kill you. What I'm telling you is it can't kill you. And really, it's not attacking you because it's after your life. It's attacking you because it's after your worship. It already knows it can't kill you, but it wants your worship. Because according to John 10 and 10, if you could put that up, he came that we might have life and life more abundantly. I'm going to say that again because sometimes we miss that. But I need to rewind a little bit so we don't just get excited and don't understand what Jesus was really saying. I'm going to say John 10 and 10 again. He came that we might have life and life more abundantly. That word abundantly means beyond measure, super abundant, much more than is necessary. That means, glory be to God. I can't that you might have much more life than you actually need. Can't Jesus came to give us life beyond measure, life in superabundance, much more life than is necessary. What that means is this. Even when the enemy seems like he's stolen life from you and me, when he's stolen motivation, desire, and drive, and the like, you know what our response can be? You can keep it. Y'all hear me? I'm not even going to try to get it back. You can keep the drive you took. You can keep the motivation you took. You can keep the excitement you took because Jesus gave me abundant excitement. I still got more than I need. Jesus gave me abundant peace. I still got more than I need. Whatever that relationship took out of you, they can keep it. I got abundant life. Whatever that job took out of you, they can keep it. I got abundant life. Whatever that problem took out of you, it don't matter. Devil, keep it. I had more than I needed anyway. I got more joy than I needed anyway. I got more peace than I needed anyway. I got more victory than I needed have it. He gave us more than what we needed because he knew he had a thief that would take it. So no matter how much he take, I still got more left than what he took. Man, devil, I'm a billionaire and you still in hundreds. Keep it. Y'all miss what I just said. You don't get it, devil. All you can do is steal $100 bills and I'm a billionaire. I don't even miss what you took when I realized the life that I got. I came that you might have. I need somebody to bless them with the life left. I need somebody to bless them with the life left. I need somebody to praise them with the life left. I need so There's more left than that was lost. I got much more left than was lost. My God, I got much more left than was lost. I got much more praise left than was lost. Y'all hear what I'm saying? I got much more desire left than was lost. Glory be to God. And see, so many times what happens to us is we get stuck. You know why we get stuck? Because we get caught up trying to get back what the devil took. Glory be to God. Instead of understanding the principle of abundant life, what he took, he can keep. Because Jesus gave me more than I needed to begin with. Devil, you got it and keep
keep it. I know what happened five years ago, keep it. I know what happened ten years ago, keep it. But you can't keep the change. I'll keep the change. You ah, but you don't know how what you took changed me. You don't know how what you took transformed me. Take it and I'm keeping the change. Why are you trying to get back what the devil took and you wouldn't be changed like you changed if he wouldn't have took what he took? You wouldn't praise like you do if he wouldn't have took what he took. You wouldn't worship like you do if he wouldn't have took what you took. He wouldn't pray like you pray. Keep it. Just give me the change. came that you might have life. I don't know about y'all, but I ain't come here to play. God didn't put me here to play. Amen. Watch this. Come on, I got abundant life. Some of you got the wind knocked out of you last Wednesday. Stop trying to get it back. He can keep it. Some of you this year has been a bad. The first six months, eight months of this year has been all hell. Stop trying to get it back. He can keep it. You so focused on what you lost, you don't realize how much you got left. So you're leaving what you got left trying to pursue what you lost. And you only lost 200, but you got 2 million. So let them keep it. The enemy tries to get us to get back what he took to keep us from accessing what we got. I ain't chasing you for that. That chump change. Watch this. Let me go a little bit further. Let's go a little bit further. Exodus 14 verse 13. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Hallelujah. Abundant life. Come on, abundant life. Exodus 14, verse 13. The Bible reads, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, consiata, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he shall show to you today. For the Egyptians you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. <clears throat> That's good. <clears throat> let me slow down. Yeah, let me get a little bit of that. <clears throat> Man, that's so good. Exodus 4. It says here, stay. this is the instruction. <clears throat> this is the instruction Moses said to the people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord he shall show to you today. See, our problem is we try to read that from an historical perspective. And because we try to read it as history, we miss the prophetic present tense application to us. That isn't just an ancient instruction. That's just not a story in the Bible. Stand still... <clears throat> 
I need y'all to follow me. And see the salvation of the Lord that he will show you is an instruction to us today. You know what it's an instruction to do? And I'm going to slow down. To see the salvation of Israel in the Old Testament as a means to get a revelation of the salvation we receive through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. The Lord is telling us, see my son's salvation. Stand still and see. Behold, I come in the volume of the book. It's all about me. Who said that? Jesus said that. That ain't just something history in the book that's pointing to a man. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord is an instruction to us, the ecclesia, the church, to see through the lens of the Old Testament aspects of the salvation given to us in the name of Jesus in the New Testament. See the salvation of the Lord. Moses is prophetically saying to us, see the salvation of Yahweh. Perceive what you receive when you're saved. Get a prophetic peek into what happens when we confess Jesus' name and surrender to his lordship. See the salvation of the Lord. It's an invitation to us to, number one, understand the intended impact of salvation and also to understand the administration of salvation. The impact, how salvation is supposed to impact us, its intended impact, and its administration of salvation or how we receive that intended impact. The intended impact of salvation and the administration of salvation. The intended impact of salvation and the administration of salvation. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, what is the intended impact of salvation? You know what the intended impact of salvation is? It's in the scripture. For the Egyptians you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The salvation that Yahweh was making available to Israel was deliverance from Egyptian bondage once and for all. My God, everybody say once and for all. Let us see the salvation of the Lord. The intended impact of salvation makes available to us once and for all deliverance. True salvation makes available to us transformation and what Paul says in a twinkling of an eye. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. What Yahweh wants us to understand is his salvation comes with no more back and forth battle his salvation actually comes with no more win some and sometimes lose some his salvation comes with no more good season then bad season no more up today and down tomorrow can you see the salvation of the Lord that the things that you see today you will never see them again the down that you see today you will never see them again the depression you see today you will never see them again the inner wrestling that you see today you will never see them again I gotta fight for it I gotta wrestle for it but God said no this time if you really see my salvation stand still if you just learn how to be easy rest in my word stop reacting to everything the devil is doing I'll let you see 
salvation of the Lord. What God wants to do in this season is reestablish once and for all deliverance. God is reestablishing once and for all deliverance. Where stuff we fought for years, he takes care of it in a day. No, 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 no. This is going to be the time where stuff is broken in a day. Stuff that's been in your bloodline for years in one day. Generational curses that have been, you was fought by your grandmama, your mama, and your mama one day. Generational curses fought by your granddaddy, your daddy. Do you understand that Egyptian bondage was a generational curse? Why don't we see that? They were in bondage for 400 years. That means uh, they were in bondage uh, and that bondage transferred to their children and then that bondage transferred to their children's children and that bondage for 400 years uh, Egyptian bondage was a generational curse if you were born in the house uh, of an Israelite uh, you were born a slave to Egypt uh, because it speaks of uh, a generational curse uh, if you, that was your mama uh, and she had breast cancer you gonna get it too. If that was your daddy and he had colon cancer, you gonna get it too. If that was your daddy was a rolling stone, you were rolling stone and your son gonna be a rolling stone. Your mama had three kids out of red lock, you got four and your daughter gonna have five. It was passed down from generation to generation but we're in a day. We're in a day called once and for all where we see the salvation of the Lord in one day cancer that's been in your generations uh, for decades uh, will never be seen uh, in your bloodline forever uh, y'all miss that uh, the enemies you see today you'll never see them again forever that means that ain't just for you that's for your children that's for your children's children they won't you won't see cancer and none of your legacy will you won't see bondage uh, and none of your legacy will i am releasing liberty to your legacy and all I need is just one day I need somebody in here that recognizes uh, that God is reestablishing once and for all deliverance uh, I'm not just talking about you I'm talking about the children that's going to come out of your children 400 years down the line that you'll never meet uh, but they'll never have to worry about Sexual curses of children out of wedlock and measures of poverty that has been in your, your generation for decades in one day. It'll never be seen again forever. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again forever. That doesn't mean Yahweh is just going to deliver you for the rest of your life. That means he's going to deliver you for the rest of your legacy. There's certain things that can't come upon your children that are going to walk this earth in 600 years because of the way that we decided to worship Yahweh today. Hallelujah. What can they do if they don't have to spend any time trying to get victory? How much time do we spend in church trying to get free? 
what happens when they don't have to spend one day in church trying to get free? Perhaps they can live in, in the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Perhaps they can be the ones that actually wrestle with principalities, powers, mights, and dominions. Perhaps they can be the ones, and it's not because of who they are. It's because of the worshiper we are. These are the days where we see the salvation of the Lord. The bondages we see today we'll never see again. The hopelessness we see today we'll never see again. The addictions we see today we'll never see again. Come on, that trying to not even want to feel that way anymore, but I still feel that way that we see today. We'll never see it again. What happens when you have those? See, it's for, you know why it's so hurt for us? Because it's so easy for us to see our inadequacies in our children. It's like, dog, they're acting just like me. Anybody ever been there before? And you know you got to discipline them, but it's hard to because they're acting like the flesh you. They never met you when you were 13, but they're 13 acting like you. Amen? But if we see the salvation of the Lord, if we can stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, God says, I won't let nothing you ever see that thing again for forever 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 the in, in, the intended impact of salvation is the egyptians you see today you shall not see them again forever we're in the days where you're just going to stop seeing stuff there's certain things that you see sometimes in the morning you just ain't going to see it no more there's certain times, certain times of the month you fight with stuff, you just ain't going to see it no more. There's just going to come a time where you don't have to see it anymore. We're in the days where it's just going to be like it was a day. You're going to be able to point to it on the calendar. September 8th, I woke up and something happened. Amen? What about the administration of salvation? That is the intended impact of salvation. Salvation wants to bring us to a place where there's a day. There's a day where everything is broken. So then we can stop avoiding the alcoholics and try to wait till they're sober before we bring them to church. But we can let them be uh, pulled down drunk and drag them up in here. But you messed around and came in the day. You came in the day, and I'm here to, I'm here to tell you now, drunkenness ain't greater than his glory. Amen. We can start dragging people in here busted and disgusted and recognize we've entered into the day where things happen today. And if you get up in here with these people, there's stuff that's going to be, you don't, you don't know how bad off they are. But I want you to know that our head operated in today. There was a maniac in the Garden of Gadarenes that they literally could not control and had enough demons in him. To, to, to jump in 200 pigs, and they were, he had the spirit of suicide in him. He had enough of the spirit of suicide in him to cause 200 pigs to commit suicide, jump off the cliff and drown themselves, and in one day. See, the Lord is bringing us back to that day when we see his salvation. You was caught in adultery the very act. This woman wasn't no first-timer. She was pretty, what we would call sleazy. 
she, 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 she had men all the time. Amen. They knew they could catch her. They caught her in the act of doing it. Right? Jesus, after riding in the sand, sending the men off, tell her to do what? Go and do what? How can you spend your whole life sleezing and one encounter, one today, and you can go and do it never again for the rest of your life? He didn't just say that to say that. He said that because he knew through meeting me, you don't never have to do that another day in your life. I don't care if you just got high on crack. If you meet me, you don't never have to smoke another day in your life. I don't care if you drank for the last 30 years. If you meet me. You don't never have to do it another day in your life. Amen. I'm going to, to, to now deal with this last thing. And then I'm going to close this thing out. Come on, somebody shout, I'm a worshiper. Come on, somebody bless them. Say, I'm a worshiper. Come on, I'm a worshiper. Come on, I'm a worshiper. I'm a worshiper of y'all. Exodus chapter 14, verse 15. We'll put that up. Exodus 14, verse 15. The Bible says, and I'm about to close, and the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Y'all see that? We miss the administration. I'm talking about how we access that once and for all salvation. We miss the administration of salvation in its fullness because we pay attention to God's acts but not his ways. So we learn his acts but we completely lack understanding of his ways. We know he parted the Red Sea, but we don't examine how he did it. And our problem is, is because we think we know it because we say he split the Red Sea and we're testifying. All we know is the act, but we don't understand his way. How did he part the Red Sea? That's what we got to look at because that's how they entered into that once and for all salvation. It was through the parting of the Red Sea. And, and is, is that correct? Amen? Yahweh, watch this. Can I see that? Yahweh commanded Moses to stretch out his hand, watch this, with his rod in his hand over the sea. And you know what God told him to do? He said, stretch your rod out over the sea and part the water. Read it. He said, he said stretch your rod over the sea and part the waters. The Bible goes on to say, Moses did stretch his hand over the sea, and Yahweh calls a east wind to blow and cause the sea to now part, make the ground dry, and form two tall walls on each side of Israel where they could cross over the Red Sea. The Egyptians have decided they're coming to kill them. So they're on the way. God parts the Red Sea and says, the Egyptians you see today you'll never see again. This is the question. Did Moses part the Red Sea or did Yahweh part the Red Sea? 
That's the question we got to answer. Who split the Red Sea, Moses or God? Yes and yes. Moses split the Red Sea and God split the Red Sea. Moses wouldn't have done it without God, and guess what? This is what we don't like. God wouldn't have did it without Moses. If Moses doesn't stretch forth his rod over the Red Sea, God never releases the wind. And those, that sea is never parted. Moses' rod really ain't got that much power, right? So it's not really his rod that did it. It was the wind that responded to the stretching of the rod. See, there's certain winds that respond to obedience. See, there's certain winds that, there's certain things that respond to our obedience. There's certain things that don't open up to us because we don't obey God. Why? Because God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound God. God, if you wanted us to cross the Red Sea, then we're going to have to now schedule a boat. So now I, I got to figure out how, see, God told me he wanted me to cross here. So I'm going to have to figure out, no, 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 no. It's not going to be a, 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 a typical way. I'm going to require obedience, and I'm going to do something you've never seen before. I'm going to show you how I administrate my salvation. The rod, we talk about the ministry of salvation. The rod in Moses' hand represents authority from God placed in the hands of man. It was the authority of God put in the hands of a man. Can I say something? And I, I, I go here, I know, and I got to go here. There are places of liberty that we are not permitted to cross over into without honoring the authority that Yahweh has placed in the hands of men and women of God that lead us. He said, I'm going to use the authority I place in your hand to make a way for all these people. Their deliverance hinges on the authority I placed in your hand, Moses. So many times, please hear me, this is the last thing, because that's why so many, of you, so many people are still fighting with stuff that you should have been and got victory over, because you actually think God going to do it outside of the authority he's placed in hands of men. You, you, you just think God don't drop it out the sky. And the reason why you're still waiting is because he ain't. So many times, believers are hindered from entering into the measure of salvation called once and for all because we don't recognize that the administration of salvation is made possible, please hear me, through the partnership between God and man. There's certain levels of liberty you will never enter into without recognizing God's partners. There are certain people who are part, there are certain leaders who are partners and they are yoked with God in intimate and special ways for the sake of advancing God's kingdom that you better recognize when you're listening to a partner versus just listening to a preacher. There's a difference. There's a difference. A preacher knows how to say good things. They know how to give you nuggets. They know how to get excited. They know how to do all the outward things. But, but there's something about a partner that you can recognize. As a, you can't see authority, but you sure enough can feel it. What does authority flow from? Intimacy with ultimate authority. All authority comes from God. The level of intimacy we have with ultimate authority naturally by, by product becomes secondary authority that we exercise. How do I know, uh, how 
What is the validation of authority? Intimacy. If you have authority, I know you, you in intimacy. Amen. You ain't just up here trying to fi find something. You don't just study your Bible to do give sermons. You're more intimate than that. You don't just pray for things for your ministry and the breakthroughs you want to see. You're more intimate than that. Intimacy produces authority. Amen? If we don't recognize the authority God has vested in obedient men and women, Yahweh, who, who, who Yahweh is literally in partnership with, then there are certain, I'm going to say this and get in trouble, but oh well, there are certain measures of liberty that we'll never enter into. If Mo what happens if Moses doesn't stretch forth his rod? Who's coming behind them? Egypt, the Egyptians. If Moses doesn't stretch forth his rod, guess what's going to happen? Their bondage is going to catch back up with them. The thing that they came out of is going to come back on them, and this time is going to kill them. They ain't going to be able to come out again. That should sound familiar. That's called backsliding. No wonder there's so many saints backsliding in the church, coming out of something that gets back on them. You know why? Because we do not honor the authority placed in the hands of men by God, and therefore the Egyptians come back, and I was doing good for a while, but something happened and I slid back. No, you didn't honor the authority. There was some authority placed before you that you did not recognize as authority called to help make ways for you, and and so you blew off doctrine. Y'all hear me? You blew off preaching. You, 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 you had an issue. Amen. You better guard your honor of partners. See, there's certain people I hear preach that say, okay, that's good. And there's other people that I hear preach and I want to go change my life and get saved all over again. There's certain people that I hear preaching, I get saved again. Uh, all over, boy. I give it all to Jesus all over again and more because there's something in them that said, no, that wasn't a good word. That changed my life. You got to recognize that. You know what that does? When I recognize that, you know what it, it makes a way. I'm able to cross over something that I couldn't cross over because I recognize the partner. And this partner ain't just preaching good ideas to add on to mine, but this partner is not giving me something to think about. This partner is changing the way I think. We have to deal with, see, in a kingdom culture, worship cannot be established without recognizing God's authority. We do all have a personal relationship with God, but there are certain things we cannot enter in that God has for us without partners of God that are called to lead us into stuff. Don't ever get it twisted. You, you hear God and you should. You're supposed to. You pray and you should. You study the Bible and you should. But that don't change Ephesians 4. And he gave some apostles. 
some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the, for the maturing. There's certain levels of maturation. That's what that man was singing about today. That's why I went crazy. Glory be to God. Because there's some of us that should be driving by now that ain't because we don't recognize authority. There's some of us that should be leading by now that ain't leading yet because we don't recognize authority. And so we're still in an immature state struggling with something that we actually had the doctrine to be delivered from, but we don't recognize somebody's holding a rod. I'm about to pray. I'm going to stop right there. Everybody just stand to your feet. We're just going to spend a moment worshiping. Come on, we just go. Let's just everybody just let's let's just worship for a moment and see what where the Lord wants us to go with this. Rima 